You're listening to Trust Me, You're Broke. I'm your host, Julia, a millennial consultant in banking, here to give you some tips and tricks on how to make, save, and grow your money. Let's get started. This is Investing Part 2. How was your weekend, everyone? I hope you had a great weekend. Mine was very eventful. Um, some very significant monetary fraud happened on my account, and uh, yeah, it was really, really bad. And it's a story that I will tell and spill all <laughs> in a later date. But right now, you know, an investigation is going on, so I can't really speak more to it until that has ended. But yeah, that was my weekend. I hope your weekend was a little less eventful than that. So in this episode, we're going to go into more detail on how you would choose individual stocks if you were not buying into an actively managed portfolio. We're also going to discuss some investing strategies that you can take. If you are new to this, maybe there's different approaches that you want to take with uh, building your own portfolio. So these are some things that we're going to discuss today. So the first investing strategy that I want to introduce is the value investing strategy. And this is a strategy that is known by uh, Warren Buffett, who is a renowned value investor, apparently. Um, And basically what this is, is buying stocks that investors believe is undervalued compared to the company's full potential. So this is more of a long-term investment strategy because in the short term, you're going to see a lot of fluctuations. You're going to see that the stock uh, price is undervalued compared to the company's potential. And so this is really one where you reap the benefits in the long run. Now, the idea to value investing is that you're investing in the business, less the stock performance at the time. Because today, when you invest, maybe you're seeing that, you know, the stock performance is not that great or it's not worth too much. But in the long run, because of certain metrics, uh, you're confident that this business has a better future ahead of them. So there are certain quantitative ways that you can analyze a stock or a business um, based on this investing strategy. And you'll hear all of these ratios and jargons a lot there out there in the market, like the P.E. ratio, the P.B. ratio, uh, debt to earnings ratio, for example. Like There's so many ratios that you can take a look at, but the most common one in this investing strategy is called the P.E. ratio. Now, the P.E. ratio stands for price to earnings ratio. What does that look at? That basically looks at the price of the stock uh, versus their earnings. So basically, it measures how much is someone, the market or an investor, willing to pay this company for a dollar of their real earnings. That's what the P.E. ratio is measuring. So a high P.E. ratio basically means compared to its earning, the market is willing to pay a lot, which means that there is potential that this company's stock is overvalued. And the opposite is true as well. A low P.E. ratio means that for $1 of earnings for this company, the market is paying less than they should, maybe. So what that kind of indicates is that this company might be undervalued. Now, there are some significant drawbacks to the P.E. Ratio, like with any of these, like analysis tactics and strategies that I'm introducing here today, one thing you should know is that 
one ratio or one formula calculated independently does not give a holistic picture of whether or not this stock matches your investment strategy, and the P-E ratio is no different. And some of the things that the P-E ratio may be missing, for example, is uh, the earnings growth, right? How much is this company set to grow in the next three years, four years, five years, whatever it may be? So in the P-E-G ratio, which is a modified version of the P-E ratio, which is price earnings and growth ratio, it does actually put the earnings uh, growth into the picture. And with that ratio, basically, if you can calculate anything less than one would be considered considered a stock that is undervalued, not only compared to the current earnings, but also compared to the growth rate of the company. So that's one modification. One other thing that might be missing from the P-E ratio, for example, is the fact that the earnings portion of the P-E ratio is calculated by the current earnings, but also next quarters projected earnings by Wall Street analysts. And so it's very easy to kind of modify the denominator of this P-E ratio based on projections, which is why the P-E ratio may not always be the most accurate. However, with that said, it is one of the more classic ways to very quickly assess whether or not the stock even has potential to be within your portfolio that you're building according to your investment strategy. And with all of this information, where you can access it for free and easily is Yahoo Finance. Surprisingly, I know it's like Yahoo still exists. Yes, it does exist. And for some reason, Yahoo Finance is a great source for um, stock information, individual stocks such as the PE ratio where uh, the information is available. Um, but also in general, uh, Yahoo Finance is great to see, for example, other hedge funds or other investors' portfolios. Now, I generally recommend that you never, ever, ever copy someone else's strategy or someone else's investments because you don't know how much they're putting into it, at what frequency they're trading, etc. But it's it was a good way for me, at least, to first understand, okay, what is the market generally kind of um, valuing? How are these investors making sure that their portfolio is diversified? And so to have a little benchmark, it was really nice to see kind of lists of all the stocks that all of these top 50 hedge funds, for example, or even Warren Buffett was like uh, investing into. Another platform that I like is MarketWatch. MarketWatch also has individual stock information and I'll really break down the key data that you can look into, such as the price, the 52-week range, um, the shares outstanding, the yields, the percentage, the P-E ratio, for example, earnings per share. I know this is like a lot of jargon for a lot of you guys who are new to this, but all I'm saying is if you want information on stocks easily, Yahoo Finance and also MarketWatch is a nice place to go. If you want like really quick, you know, overview of the price or how on a daily basis a stock is doing, honestly, you're trading, you know, your brokerage will be number one, but also Google, just like search it up and um, it will show how the stock is performing on a real time basis. Now, this next analysis that you can do is called the PB ratio. It's not PB and J, it's PB ratio. When I first came across this, I was like, I cannot get PB and J off my mind, but you know, I digress. Anyway, so the price to book ratio basically looks at the price of the stock 
to the company's book value per share. And what the book value per share means is the ratio of equity available to common shareholders divided by the number of outstanding shares. So that's like a load of blah, 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 blah right? <laughs> but basically what that means is the, take the company's net value, which is assets minus liabilities, and divide that by the amount of shares that they have available, which is the outstanding shares. And the number of shares available, for example, is available on MarketWatch. It's available on Yahoo Finance. A company's assets minus liabilities, um, which is the uh, net value, would also be available. But if it's not calculated for you, you can also calculate it yourself because public companies are obligated to publish their quarterly earnings report. So you will be able to find all that information. So that's book value per share. So price to book ratio basically means the price of the share divided by the book value per share. So what does that mean? That basically means, okay, this is the price of the stock. This is what we're saying the value of the company is versus this is what the actual value of the company is today. So that's what it's... Um, comparing to. So a uh, price to book ratio that is around 0.95 to around 1.1, we will say it's basically at par with the book value, which means you're basically getting what you paid for, right? You paid a dollar and you're getting $1 worth of the company's value. If the uh, PB ratio is around 0.5, that means the company is undervalued because for a dollar of value of this company, you only have to pay 0.5. So if your investing strategy is to look at value investing, so to find and identify undervalued stocks, then in this case, you would look for a PB ratio of 0.5 and you would look for a low PE ratio as much as possible. Now, if you aren't sick of ratios yet, I have one more for you, and that is the debt to equity ratio. And this is all like jargon that you'll hear from like finance majors and big, you know, Wall Street investors, whatnot. But essentially, what the debt to equity ratio means is how much debt does the company, how much liability does the company have versus the shareholder equity? So a high debt equity basically means that the company derives more of its financing on debt relative to equity. So as you guys know, common sense tells us that if we have too much debt, it's high risk, right? Because it's relative to what you already have on hand, you have a lot of borrowing. And the same can be used or applied to companies as well, right? Do they have more equity or do they have more debt to finance the equity? So this ratio can basically use more for assessing a stock's risk. For example, if there's a lot of debt, it's a high debt to equity ratio, maybe this company is not very good at managing its finances, for example. But the one big caveat with the price to earnings ratio, the PE ratio, and also the debt to equity ratio, um, these two Basically, when you're assessing stocks and comparing which to buy, you can't compare a stock from industry A and a stock from industry B and compare the PE ratio or the DE ratio. That would not be accurate. And the reason is because it's really important to understand how one industry finances, what's the norm of that industry, right? So to give you an example, um, 
the car industry, right? Uh, the automobile industry, for example. Typically, you would need more financing, right, for research and development. You would need more um, fixed assets. So typically, because of that, they would have a higher debt-to-equity ratio compared to, I don't know, like a consumer packaged goods industry. And because of that, it wouldn't be a fair comparison to say, okay, how is Kraft Heinz doing versus, you know, how is Tesla doing? It those would be comparing apples to oranges. And so you want to make sure that when you're assessing stocks using these ratios, you're comparing between uh, stocks that are within the same industry. Another caveat with the debt to equity ratio is that just because the debt to equity ratio is high doesn't necessarily mean, and I know I already said this um, before, but it doesn't necessarily mean the company is not doing so well, right? It could be indicative of that, but also could be indicative of a company that's growing rapidly. You know, they're getting financing, they're making sure that they want to expand to other markets, for example. So what you should always do with these ratios and these calculations, and trust me, to be honest with you, like I'm not a huge math person. So if you're a huge math person out there, congratulations, you probably, you know, am absorbing this way better than I did when I first started like looking into stocks and learning how to analyze them. But what I would recommend you always do in addition to all of these like financial calculations is to just read the news, right? Understand what, what's on the news for, um, for these companies, because with value investing, what's happening is you want to look at the long-term potential of this company. Sure. You just bought into something that's undervalued. Maybe you're seeing in the news that, you know, they're going to be rapidly expanding. They're going to come up with another product line. Um, like Tesla, for example, um, their PE ratio is extremely high. So actually it wouldn't be considered, um, value investing. It would be considered some other strategy, which I will explain to you in a little bit, but you know, if you see like, for instance, oh, company A is going to expand into this market, you know, and so they just reached an agreement with some bank to get extended financing. Those are all good cues for you to know that the company is growing, right? Um, and that maybe their stock price right now is perhaps undervalued. I would say personally, I do take on this um, value investing approach. Uh, I also take on kind of a growth investing approach, which I will talk about in just a second. But uh, I think these are the two kind of investing mantras that I have, largely because A, um, I do have a long-term investing strategy, especially when it comes to um, just my managed portfolios as well. Like I want to make sure that there's higher growth, higher returns in the long run. So I would pick and choose stocks that maybe not necessarily is already doing really super well, but instead, you know, their numbers are showing that they're a little bit undervalued right now. Um, so that's kind of my strategy. But what's really important about this approach is you need to have patience and you need to be principled. In the short run, there might be ups and downs. It might even go down in the short run, right? The stock prices. And you really need to make sure that you are keeping your money in. There's actually quite a bit of research out there that shows that, you know, for instance, if the return potential in the long run for value investors um, are like, for instance, 7% uh, per year, 
um, investors are actually only receiving around 5%. And the reason why the average return is lower than the actual average return for a value investing strategy is because a lot of investors lose patience and they withdraw the money. Uh, sooner than they should have. And so when we talk about value investing, we're talking about decades, right? We're talking about years. We're talking about at least a couple of years to maybe a decade even or 20, 30 years. You're really in it for the long game and you're in it for maybe retirement. You're in it for maybe, you know, 20 years down the line when you want like a big house or something. But that's what you're in it for if you're choosing the value investing strategy. Now, there's the second investing strategy, which I call the growth investing strategy. I mean, I don't call it. Everyone calls it the growth investment strategy. But essentially, you're looking at businesses that are going to be the next big thing and they're going to be the next unicorn. There's not as much meticulous kind of... um, technical analysis that you can do on a growth investing strategy. It's more that, you know, there are some stocks that you know has high potential. Right now, maybe their PE ratio is completely out of whack. So for instance, like the um, example that I spoke to earlier, Tesla, for example, everyone sees the future of electric vehicles. They see the future of technology being embedded into these vehicles. And therefore, a lot of investors are overvaluing Tesla and consider Tesla a growth stock. And so a lot of investors like to invest using the growth investment strategy for a couple of reasons. Number one is in the short run, it has actually been uh, proven by a lot of uh, research out there. I won't really name all of it, but if you go to like Investopia or whatever, you would be able to see the sources, okay? A lot of research shows that essentially in a shorter time period, growth stocks outperform value stocks by a huge margin, right? And you can see this because, you know, there will be pockets of time where uh, a company is doing really well because there's a lot of investors in the market rallying, which means they're buying based on speculation, based on growth speculation, based on, you know, sexy partnerships that are happening with these companies. And then they buy, 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 which in turn um, causes a sudden spike in the, um, the share price. And so Tesla has actually seen this quite a bit, actually. This past year, they grew 800% more than that now. Um, They've done one stock split and yet, so at the stock split level, I think they were at like 200 something. I'm just trying to recall off the top of my head um, per share. Right now it's at 800 something per share. Uh, Last I saw was like 840. It might be a little bit different today. Okay, so huge, huge growths. Now, is that going to continue that way in the long run? Probably not. So the the other argument to this is that when you look at the long term, you actually see that value stocks end up outperforming growth stocks. And the reason is because growth stocks come with more volatility and they come with more uncertainty and more risk. So for example, Tesla, okay? I keep coming back to Tesla, but it's really the hot stock and the hot topic these days when you look at social media and all of that. Okay, so Tesla's P.E. ratio is something crazy. Like I let me look. Give me a second. Okay, I'm back. So the Tesla P.E. ratio for context is one hundred thirty three point nine six. 
Okay, so their price of their stock compared to their actual earnings is 133 times, okay, the, the actual earnings. That compared to a automotive, just like average within the industry, the PE ratio is usually 17.65. So what does this tell you based on the, the value investing strategy? This company is inherently, the numbers are saying, it's very overvalued. And yet, people continue to buy Tesla stocks. So it's, it's really interesting because there's two large groups of people with Tesla stocks. One is people think, well, this, you know, this, um, in the short term, we're seeing that this stock is growing massively. I want in on that trend, that growth trend. So that would be a growth investor. And then there are value investors who inherently believe, no, 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 no. This stock is extremely overvalued. And, you know, the so-called bubble is what they mean by that, okay? This stock is way, priced way too high for what it's doing. And eventually this bubble is going to pop. So for those investors, what they do is called short selling. And you may have heard of this before, short sellers, short selling. What does that mean? That means you're betting against the stock's performance. So instead of paying a dollar for a dollar growth potential, you're paying a dollar for a dollar's decline potential. So a classic example of this is Wall Street investor Michael Burry. So he's the guy that in 2008, when the housing bubble in the United States was getting out of control due to fraudulent activity within the uh, Wall Street kind of analysts and the banks, he basically short-selled the housing market. Now, everyone thought he was crazy because they were like, the real estate market will never crash. It's like the safest investment out there. But what happened in 2008? the housing bubble burst and the market crashed. And because Michael Burry short-selled that in the correct timing, he became a billionaire, right? So actually he did comment on Tesla stocks and he said something similar will happen to Tesla. And he actually said something along the lines of enjoy it while, while it lasts kind of a thing. But Again, for growth investing, you're not really looking at the long term. You're looking at shorter um, spans of time where you can see high, high growth um, and really leverage that. So what does that mean? That means usually these investors will not buy and hold. So they won't buy a Tesla stock, for example, and hold it for 10 years. They might within a year buy or sell a couple of times because they know it's going to be shorter pockets of these growths and then it's go- the price is going to drop again. So when it reaches its peak, they'll sell. And then um, when it goes down again, they'll buy. And as a result of that, they'll enjoy kind of compounding growth on uh, the stock. Now, continuing with this Tesla example, one thing that you have to be aware of if you are using the growth investing strategy is the fact that whoever is steering the boat is also really important. Whoever is the CEO, whoever is the leader matters a lot in this case. So it's not really a technical analysis, but it is an analysis on the leadership team. Take Uber, for example, right? Um, The guy that was CEO, he had an episode where basically... He got on his own Uber car and he just lost it with with the Uber driver. And that kind of footage was released. And what happened? His stocks tanked. 
Why? Because his company was nicely valued but overvalued for traditional ratios and traditional calculations. And therefore, the company's stocks was way more susceptible to that type of scandal. And the same goes to Tesla Elon Musk, right? Sometimes he says stupid shit on, on uh, Twitter. I don't know if you guys follow this, but he says things like, Mm, I think our stock prices are way too high. And what happens? The stock price tanks. But that up and down, that volatility usually doesn't last over a week, which is why growth investors are not that nervous because it goes down because it's extremely sensitive to everything that's going on around this company. But then it also shoots back up very easily. Now, this final investment strategy is one that I would strongly discourage, if I can, uh, with anyone who's first starting in the investing world. And it's what they call in the books, in the textbooks, they call it momentum investing. But in layman's terms, what you'll hear is things like day trading swing trading. These are all a part of quote-unquote momentum investing. I mean, the word momentum makes it sound so nice. It's like, oh, follow the momentum and da-da-da. But really, day trading and swing trading are risky methods of investing that even the most professional of the professional, even the most sophisticated of analysts, often, often, often lose a lot of money on. In fact, there's a statistic out there, you can just Google it, 95% of uh, day traders lose money. These are the people that when you think stock investing, you think, you know, six different screens of different graphs and they're constantly, you know, in the old days, they're constantly on the phone saying buy, sell, buy, sell, you know, um, put, hold, whatever it may be. Um, they're staring at the screen like 18 hours a day, whatever it may be. That type of image that you have in your head when it comes to stock investing is what we call day traders and swing traders. Day traders being on a given day, um, the investor is looking for volatility to profit off of. Um, and for swing trading, it's looking at maybe for a couple of days, within a span of a couple days, you're looking at uh, basically some spikes in prices and some decline in prices as well. Now, this type of trading actually exclusively, almost exclusively relies on technical analysis. And when we talk about technical analysis, it's really the belief that the numbers will tell the entire story, which is, again, I don't think is the most accurate just because there's a lot more than numbers when it comes to stocks. There's external factors, there's social political factors, there's economic factors. How's the economy doing? There's things like the freaking pandemic, right? Things that the charts won't really tell you is, oh, there's a pandemic, so brace yourselves. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of other factors in my opinion that will affect a stock price, speculation. Um, there's, it's not just, objective. And I think technical analysis believes that objectivity is king and that's that's all that exists. But of course there's different ways to, you know, analyze stocks such as moving averages, um, price trends, chart patterns, you know, there's different chart patterns like candlestick chart patterns and things like that. I don't do that personally. I mean, I did um, take a course for fun one summer to try and do a simulated day trading using um, this 
platform. I think it's by TD called Thinkorswim. So it's like a trading platform, but you can use fake money to try trading. So if you're interested and curious about what day trading is like and swing trading is like, I would highly recommend starting with fake money. So it's lower risk and you do a lot of learning. So I did do that and it was very interesting to utilize some of the techniques uh, of technical analysis. So it was good learning. However, I would never Honestly, I would never put my own money into doing that type of stuff. And also frequently, if you are day trading, this is like a full-time job. Like not only do you have to watch the markets on, you know, the regular while the markets are open, but when the markets are closed, you also have to determine a strategy and prepare yourself. And also the biggest reason why people fail when it comes to day trading is they fail to realize all of the trading commission, all of the trading costs that are associated um, platforms like Wealthsimple, for example, is not a very good platform for day trading, for example, or for swing trading for a couple reasons. One, the market data and the pricing on the platform has a 15 minute delay. So it's usually not the best platform to do that because really what, what it is, is it's a race against the clock. The faster you can make a trade at the exact price that you see yourself um, profiting is when you want to enter, right? So uh, timing is everything, uh, even computing power. Like some some of the Wall Street analysts, for example, have the best computers. You know that can really trade within like a millisecond or whatever it may be. So even just for the regular person, even the equipment that you have already puts you at a disadvantage for this type of trading. And if you're new to stock markets, please, 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 don't do this. Like there's, I think. If you are professionally trained to do technical analysis, you are in a professional setting, like this is your job, and your job gives you all of the infrastructure, all of the data, all of the team, for example, that you need to succeed in this, even then you are, you know, it, it's an uphill battle, right? Um, so I would really not recommend going this way. It will what will end up being for a lot of individual investors who try to be day traders is that you end up kind of going by the rumor and not really doing much technical analysis. You'll end up rallying um, based on what other investors are doing because you don't have a lot of time. Um, and an unprepared day trader will end up losing a lot of money. So please don't do this if you're not comfortable with the stock markets yet. So some of the kind of individual stocks that I have through Wealth Symbol Trade, I will tell you which stocks that I bought into. You don't have to buy these stocks and honestly, don't follow me. <laughs> you should make your own decisions. But here are some, actually the very first um, stock that I bought was a company called Serence. It's C-R-N-C. And Serence was an interesting buy. So how I found Serence was basically, um, I looked at on Yahoo Finance, a list of top 50 hedge funds, like what are they investing in? Because why did I look at that? It's because I believe that hedge funds, because they do this professionally, they would have a highly diversified portfolio. So I wanted to see, you know, what are the kind of stable stocks there, you know, stable, good performing stocks that they're investing into, like, a big company, probably like Coca-Cola, for example, is a classic. And then what are some of the growth stocks that are looking into? And this was one that caught my eye. And Sarens is a company that basically works on the 
quote, uh, automotive cognitive assistance solutions to power natural and intuitive interactions between automobiles, drivers and passengers, and the broader digital world. So as you can see, basically, they are, you know, a company that works on uh, things like auto auto drive or self-driving technologies and things like that. So I thought it was very interesting. And this was kind of like my growth investing mindset um, because their price was relatively low, but their earnings were doing pretty great. So actually it was value investing. But on top of that, um, I do believe that a lot of the uh, quarterly earnings reports, a lot of the news articles are saying that, you know, this company is doing pretty well. And you know, it's a future that I can foresee, right? With a lot of now cars going into self-driving, AI, all of that with Tesla being the lead, um, I felt that this company had a huge potential. So I bought this uh, Serence stock at an average price of $21. So I bought it once when it was 18. I bought six shares. Unfortunately, I sold some shares when um, the stock market was tanking, which lesson learned, you should never do that, especially if you're uh, a value investor. But my growth investor brain was like, okay, let me just um, sell while I still have a profit and then see if this company is going to survive even um, this market. And it did. It, it survived very well. So right now, what we're looking at is a, a stock price of, as of today, 119.17. So it went from 18 bucks to 119, uh, with my average price being $21. So my total return so far has been a growth of 467.43% on this stock. Um, some of the more well-known ones, for example, Apple, uh, I have Apple stocks. I have Asana, Asana, when they went public, I believe in 2019 or 2020, I may be wrong, but it was, it was, uh, it did its IPO pretty recently. Asana was one that, again, I believe that it was relatively, uh, valued low because, you know, you saw how Slack does really well, and it's just like a collaborative tool. I also thought that in the short run, there's going to be a lot of people working from home. So any digital collaborative software would do really well. So that's why I bought into Slack, and I also bought into uh, Asana. Um, next, there's like more growth. So I have one share of Tesla. If you listen to my previous episode on how I almost made 160K on Tesla, um, go listen to that. But um, yeah, I have one share of Tesla. One share because I didn't really want to spend too much each share. So I bought it when the average price was at around $430 and today it's around $880. So I'm looking at a total return of 103%. And then there's other ones like Pinterest, for example. And the reason why I bought into Pinterest is because, first of all, you know, the the earnings is doing pretty well for this company. And also their average price was pretty low for their earnings. So I felt it was a good opportunity when there was the March dip to buy into the stock. And lo and behold, because a lot of people got into DIYs, crafts, and all that stuff, uh, the company performed extremely well. So now they're at a price of $73, which gives me a return of 350%. 
Um, there's other ones that aren't reaping its benefits just yet, like Air Canada. I knew Air Canada was going to take a longer time to rebound because it's not like travel has been um, uh, permitted worldwide yet. So, you know, they're running on very, very, very low fuel right now. Um, but because the reason why I bought Air Canada is because of my belief that um, Air Canada is the main airline of Canada. And so my speculation is basically that the government will never let a major, major airline that represents the company go down. There's just no way, right? What are, What is the alternative? WestJet? Like, I mean, yes, that is the alternative, but it's like a lot smaller. So um, I have firm belief that because of the 52-week uh, high for Air Canada was $48. Um, I do believe that it is going to steadily um, recover. Maybe it will take more years, so it won't be as fast of a rebound as like Pinterest was, for example. But I do know that that is going to recover um, pretty pretty quick. Now, I do wish that I was a little bit more patient with Air Canada. When it hit $20, I believe that the um, price would continue going up, which was very irrational of me because I should have known that travel would be restricted for a longer period of time. But see, this is what happens when you become a little bit less patient. So I bought it at an average price of 20. I honestly should have bought it way lower than that um, because the 52-week low, which was around in March, the the shares tanked down to around $9. So there was a lot of potential for me to wait for more of a dip, but I didn't because I'm impatient. And as a result of that, I'm looking at a 3.29% return on Air Canada right now. So those are just examples of what I have individually. Um, invested in. And then of course I have the balance automated portfolio, um, that I have today. Now, the last point that I want to make in terms of investing is you can invest in a lump sum or you can invest in a regular amount uh, for a set frequency. Now, there's huge, huge power in being able to invest regularly because A, it keeps you disciplined and it keeps you committed to an amount. So, you know, you just have to set up an automatic payment, especially if you go with robo advising, set up an automatic payment and forget about it. Like this, just think that this amount does not exist for you. And then in the long run, what you'll find is that you've made some money <laughs> on on the, the contributions that you've been making. It actually shows that, research actually shows that um, a lump sum payment is better for higher returns, even in the longer run. However, with that said, most investors like you and I, we wouldn't have like $100,000 lump sum just to plop into an account uh, at once, which is why it is good to gradually every month or every two weeks um, invest in or contribute in your portfolio. So for me, um, bi-weekly basis, I am contributing $200 this year um, just because I do want to diversify a little bit more other than just my stock portfolio. Um, and then from there, all the rest of my savings are going into uh, employee share purchase plans, etc. So these are just some things to consider when you are investing. 
So again, if you are interested in robo-advising, check out my Wealthsimple referral link. It's available on my Instagram as well via Linktree. You just have to click into it and you'll get 10K managed for free for a year. So make sure you go and do that because there is a 0.5% fee. Now, if you are interested in day trading and the sexy part of you know trading where people are making shit loads of money, um, I would recommend that you use platforms like Thinkorswim, which are completely free for you to use fake money to try and practice your technical analysis, practice your investing. Also, if you are kind of a scaredy cat and you are afraid of investing in general, I do recommend opening up a platform like that to just to familiarize yourself with the platform, you know, with some trends and how to buy stocks and all of that. Now, before I wrap up, I do want to discuss one last thing, and that is the state of today's market. So in today's market, as you know, we are going through very unprecedented times. And as a result of that, last March, we saw one of the greatest dips in the stock market since the Great Depression. So that really was a significant drop in the market. Since then, the market has been steadily recovering. And in this case, what that means is stock prices in general have been steadily increasing since that dip in March. This is what we call a bullish market. So there's these terms called bullish and bearish. Basically, all you need to know is a bullish market stocks, the overall market prices are rising. And in a bearish market, the uh, overall prices in the market is dropping. So we can call right now a bullish market where if you bought low at the March timeframe or even now for certain industries, you will find yourself benefiting with maybe significant amounts of growth in a short amount of time. And so my Wealth Simple trade account, for example, uh, I've seen like more than 100% growth on most of the stocks that I have. So that really does indicate a bullish market. Now, The one thing that I do want to caution you is that in a bullish market, a lot of people luck out or end up buying low, which is, you know, common sense for a lot of people, and they end up making a lot of profits in the short run. As a result of that, they try to sell those skills to you, people who are new to investing or maybe not so familiar, and they try to convince you that they are the most genius investor out there, that they're going to be the next Warren Buffett. Well, I'm here to tell you, really be careful of these people. They're they're everywhere. They're on Instagram. They're on uh, TikTok called hashtag stock talk. All of these like speculative, buy this, buy that. You're going to make a lot of money. And also buy my courses because I'm apparently a genius investor. All of these people probably, in my opinion, are misunderstanding their skills and themselves. This is what we call timing the market, and they happen to time the market in a place where the market was a bullish one. And so whatever they do, really, the stock prices are set set to rise. So that's the only thing that I would caution you for, especially when you are first-time investing and you know, you're know you trading on the platform and you're seeing these great gains. Try not to, A, put um, all your eggs in one basket. That just increases the risk significantly. Try to diversify still in your portfolio. This is something that like I try to remind myself as well is like to not just go with growth stocks, not just go with the sexy tech stocks because they may not be sustainable. So that's just the one note that I wanted to put out there is um, 
We might see some short-term gains in this market today, but it may not be sustainable growth. And so it's really important to know that and to manage your risk tolerance um, accordingly. I've seen colleagues who um, got loans to invest into the stock market, knowing that it was going to be a bullish market. In the short run, maybe that you know was a good strategy, but in terms of risk, I would say it's extremely risky. And given that the market was extremely volatile last year, I don't think it was a very smart move. So that's just one example of how quickly people can get addicted to this idea of making money in the short run. And then what they end up doing is they end up investing without researching or investing with uh, speculation. And what that does is basically you're, you're ending up gambling. So that's just my um, ending note for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. It was a lot longer than all the other episodes that I had. But um, if you have any more questions or opinions about this episode, uh, reach out to me at Wealth by Julia on Instagram, and I'll see you next week. Hope today's episode was informative and fun. If you like this episode, please give my podcast a like, a five-star review, and a follow. Also, go follow me at Wealth by Julia on Instagram for more tips and tricks. I'll talk to you soon.